You're listening to Castrol CarCast on Podcast One. Hey guys, welcome to CarCast. We've got a fun show today. We want to tell you all about uh, uh, used car buying and new car buying, as well as the McLaren GT and the Bentley uh, Continental GT. But before we get started, uh, a word from our friends at Geico. Though we're apart these days, we are sharing more. And Geico would like to say thanks. Thanks for sharing your savage dance moves. Thanks for sharing your DIY haircut fails. Thanks for sharing your inner lip sync star. Now it's Geico's turn to share too with the Geico Give Back. It's a 15% credit on car and motorcycle policies for current and new subscribers. And because Geico's commitment for the long haul, the, the 15% credit lasts for your full policy term. So visit geico.com slash giveback for info and eligibility. Welcome to CarCast. I'm Matt, the moderator, DeAndrea, with uh, Bill Goldberg and our buddy Alistair Weaver from Edmunds.com back on the show. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good morning, gentlemen. Good. Thank you. Uh, we've got some fun stuff to talk about today. Hopefully some fun stuff. It's not all going to be doom and gloom, <laughs> despite what the industry is telling us. Uh, uh, Alex has been testing a few cars still, and he's got some comparisons to talk about. Before we get started, we'll remind you about uh, Dodge Power Dollars. With every horsepower of your new Dodge vehicle purchase, you'll get $10 off. So peeling out in a 2019 Dodge Charger RT Scat Pack, Hey, no problem. You just got four thousand five hundred and eighty bucks off. Um, I was recently, uh, you, you know, we talked about some of the cars we've been driving. Uh, we had the the Lamborghini and the Aston Martin uh, DBS Superleggero, and uh, and that sort of brought up the discussion of of GT cars. Uh, and by the way, GT cars are so incredibly fast now. I mean. I've always loved the look of of the Aston Martin and probably something, Bill, that you could fit in. But uh but they weren't they weren't the fastest cars out there. And now with cars like the DBS, some of the Ferraris and some of the new things that uh that Alistair's been uh been testing, these cars are sub three point five seconds zero to sixty cars. These big heavy front engine cars are are scooting along incredibly fast. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to get uh, some of your thoughts on what you've been testing, Alistair, because uh, one of the cars in your lineup, the Bentley, the Bentley Continental GT, uh, I've got on the, uh, on the docket to test, I believe, in about a month, maybe the beginning of, of June. Uh, but I'm testing the V8 car, or maybe the V8 car first, and then maybe yeah. we'll get into the 12. But uh, Tell me what you guys have been doing because uh, the other car that you put it up against is one that Bill and I both really like. It's the new McLaren GT. And uh, I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, all this started, you may remember, I think last time I was talking about driving the 911 Turbo S. And we posted a video on YouTube. It's done really well for us. And, and literally, I had McLaren and Bentley basically come to us and say, well, what about us? Um, so what we've actually done and we filmed it last week uh, in fairly interesting circumstances we'll talk about that later but we um, 
we managed to put a film together and basically it's almost like 9-11 Turbo Part 2. So the Bentley comes at it from one, one angle, which is basically, as you say, a luxury coupe trying to be a sports car. And then the McLaren is basically a mid-engine carbon fiber supercar trying to be like an everyday GT-ish. So we basically approached it from that premise and said, are either of these as good as a 911 Turbo, which I think most people recognize is, is the sort of default of everyday supercar. And both of them are the same money. They, I mean, all three of them start at just over 200 grand. And by the time you get options on them, are best part of a quarter of a million dollars. So, you know, these things aren't cheap and they, they depreciate like hell. So um, it's a pretty chunky investment. How how did it end up doing uh, uh, on on the GT? Let's start with the 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 McLaren. What's your thoughts on the McLaren? You were telling me a little bit uh, the other day uh, that maybe it's a little bit miscategorized. Yeah, it's it's interesting. As you guys well know, you go on these events, and a lot of the time the OEM will say, "This is what we think the vehicle is." You know, and McLaren said. You know, we make mid-engine supercars, 570s, 570 GTs. What we're trying to do with this car is attract a different audience. So it's potentially the person who buy a 911 Turbo, even maybe a Bentley. So what we try to do is create this GT, this Grand Tour, where we've raised the ride height, we've put more luggage capacity in, we've made it quieter, we've made it slightly easier to drive. And most people came back saying, mm, you know, the luggage bay gets really hot. There's only two seats. It's not really this. It's not really that. And I think that I personally think they mispitched it. If they come along and said, guys, what we've built is a mid-engine supercar that's more usable. If you want to go away for a week, there's now enough space. It's, uh, you know, it's going to go over uh, speed bumps in the road. It's, it's something that you can, you know, at a pinch use every day, but really is more in the spirit of the original Acura NSX where, you know, we're just going to make these things easier to live with. And I think if you'd pitched it in that way, you would have had a slightly different response. Because personally, having lived with one for, for a week, I really like it. It's, it's arguably not as sharp as a 570 or a 720, but it's, it's a nice thing. And I actually think it's the prettiest McLaren too. Would you, would you drive it every day or, or still the, the Porsche 911 Turbo or the Turbo S? Is that still the, the king of that category? Yes. I mean, the thing is with the McLaren, it's, yes, it's got more luggage, but if you think about where the luggage is, where it sits behind you, it's kind of chucked underneath from the engine, because it's mid-engine. Come on. And then, it and doesn't then have the, that much more luggage space. And can you really say, can you really say without laughing hysterically that you could go away for a week? <laughs> Maybe a weekend. Yeah, a weekend. Yeah. Oh, come on, man. My wife couldn't put her clothes in there for a week in the back. That thing is, I mean, and the, and, and the golf bag that they quote unquote say that you could stick in there, it's got to be like a, a two club carrying bag. I mean, <laughs> I, I've got to say, I, I think about- you're right, though. I think they miscategorized it. I mean, I, I, it was a valiant effort, but, you know, you saw my excitement in the beginning. Yeah. And then when it came out, it, it wasn't really what they. Put it this way: We all, as car guys, we 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 see a new car coming out, and we wanna we wanna believe that it's exactly what we want. Mm-hmm. In that, I thought it was going to be bigger inside. I thought you know the luggage capacity would be a little bit better, um, and it, it 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 fell very short, if you ask me. And and for my expectations, for, for for those things, yes, yes. But if they said it's a supercar that's a little more comfortable to drive. And you could throw your I get backpack it. Then it's in it. Char- then it's characterized properly. 
So I yeah. agree with you, Alistair, for sure. I have a funny story about the golf clubs because one of the things is the part of filming. We did a little skit about, and I've got some golf clubs over here, and it's a carry bag. It's not, it's not quite two clubs, but it's not like a big tour bag. So I threw this thing in the back of the McLaren and went, yeah, well, that'll never shut. Pressed the little button. <laughs> it has like a motor thing. They went, da-da-da-da-da, and shut. <laughs> so the film is me kind of like going, oh, that actually does work, but only if you have a, a relatively modest carry bag. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. But I was kind of thinking, actually, of all the McLarens that I've driven, I've driven them all. Um, it's, it's, a nice, it's a really nice thing, and I think it's a car that would grow on you. And what I actually want is a GTS, which would be, the GT body shape with the extra bit of versatility, but then with a setup more akin to like a, a 570S. So give me, give me that body, which I think is the prettiest. And I like the fact there's a bit more versatility and then give me a GTS version that's a little bit sharper and, and then I'd be happy. Because it's like the engine. Sounds, the engine sounds, like, sorry, it Bill. sounds like we all want another category. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm cool with that. Uh, tell us I, about the Bentley GT. How does it, how does it fit? Uh, compared to compared to those cars, the uh, McLaren and the Porsche. Well, last, last I've driven a lot of the Benz. Last time I did, I actually did this crazy thing. I skied behind one in in in, in Europe, but uh, there, um, it's it's just a massive thing. It's just so heavy. I think it's like fourteen hundred pounds more than the McLaren. And you never. It's an amazing piece of engineering because it's so fast, it's so comfortable, it's so quiet, it rides beautifully. Yet you never really escape the fact that it's a it's it's a load of engineering trying to escape the fact that it's massively it's it's massively heavy and to be honest it's just not my I admire it and it's a lovely way to travel but I kind of feel like I'm 20 years too young for it. <laughs> yeah. Now, and I'm not sure I'd ever get there if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Does the Aston Martin fit into that category? I mean, the DBS. Superleggero that I tested came in at $350,000. So now this kind of feels like, you know, this is, this is Ferrari 812 money, uh, not really, you know, GT money, not really Bentley and McLaren and Porsche money. No, the DB11 would be the equivalent Aston. And, you know, all these things are so much money now. I mean, like quarter of a million, you know, they're all a quarter of a million dollars. And I think that's what we're saying about the 911 Turbo that, is it really twice the car that a 911 Carrera is? And the answer is no. No. Not now everything's got, you know, a Carrera S has got 450 horsepower, you know. Whether you've got 450 or 620 or 650 is a bit academic. But people that are buying that car want the S, because it's interesting because the Turbo, less money than a Turbo S, but uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but according to Porsche, they sell more turbo S's than they do the regular turbos because when their people are spending that kind of money, they're just throwing all the bits and options on it anyway. That's why yeah, they came out with the turbo S first before the turbo. Yeah. Because the, the rationale being, if you can afford 180 grand, you can afford 200 grand. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then 50 grand oh, more yeah. for all the, all, all, then, all the bits. It, yeah. I mean, the Turbo S does get you, or at least historically has gotten you more base options. So when you do, when you do start crunching numbers on it, it's not that far apart. If you take a Turbo and throw all the options on it to make it the same as a Turbo S, which came with some of those options, not to mention you get things like center lock wheels, which you couldn't get on the Turbo. Uh, I, I guess I see it. 
yeah, it's the it's the car for the for the guy who just wants to tick every box. And in LA, there are plenty plenty of those. And I think the Cabriolet particularly. You know, if you've got a, a Cabriolet with low, nylon turbo S Cabriolet with loads of options, that's the guy the dealer. You know, the dealer's eyes light up and just like. Tick. Yeah, that I don't get the Cabriolet part of it. Um, it just. I don't know. I just think for for a car that that's crazy, that crazy with performance and horsepower. Uh, I don't know. I just don't. I just don't think the convertible needs to be there. But that's just me. I get there's a lot of people that are out there. I I don't know. And it's they've always stuck to their guns as far as just doing the traditional soft top. When uh, a lot of the car companies, um, Ferrari included, have gone to convertible hard top. Um, even the uh, you know like the. The Ferrari California, which I guess is now a Portofino, um, it's a good-looking car with the top up. You don't even know when you know when the top is, you know, when the top is up. You don't even realize that it is potentially a convertible. Um, the uh, the 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 other one is that uh, eight twelve GTS, the Ferrari, which I haven't the spent too much time. Yeah. Uh, the super fast, the coupe, but then there's a Targa version. There's a convertible hardtop Targa version called the GTS, the A12 GTS, relatively new, um, uh, which is an interesting car to me. That I can understand because now you've got sort of this convertible hardtop. It looks fantastic with the top up. You can't even really, really tell the difference. You know, depending on the color, you see some of those lines, you know, the gaskets going across. But uh, for the most part... Um, those are kind of sharp cars, but Porsche's always been very traditional with the soft top version of it. And then uh, didn't uh, BMW like, go back and forth on, on Yeah, I guess Porsche's top. always had the Targa as well, which is complicated yeah. things. You know, you wouldn't bother doing a hard top if you have the Targa. Um, yeah, it's been, people have been back and forth because they tend to look a bit ungainly. Uh, so, and soft top technology has improved so much that the benefits of going for a hard top were you know, were diminished. I tell you what, the one Ferrari, talking of Ferrari, is the one that would fit into this category I'm quite excited about. It's the Roma. You guys yeah. seen that? It's like the first pretty Ferrari in a long time. You know, the first actually beautiful Ferrari. It's the first, first Ferrari that I've looked at. Yeah, apart from 458, where I thought, actually, I really want one of those. Are they, are, is Ferrari sales justifying these uh, huge amounts of different models that they're offering? Ferrari, Ferrari's changed a bit because it went public. Uh, it IPO'd um, and that's changed their business model a bit but they are still the world's people say Porsche is the most profitable car company and in some ways it is but per unit I mean like Ferrari is insanely insane how much money they make you know uh, the Portofino or I'm sorry the uh, the Roma is a two plus two car right it's a it's a it's got a back seat or it's supposed to have a Actually, yeah, this is this is very, very out of the box of what you'd expect with Ferrari. We're looking at a picture of it right now. That's a beautiful looking car, but now it's got a little bit more Aston Martin in it, doesn't it? It looks a lot more like an Aston Martin than it does a Ferrari. Yeah, a little bit of Maserati, right? Uh, a little bit of Maserati, a little bit of Aston Martin. Um, uh, Alistair, is this a two plus two? Yeah, I think it's got little, yeah, little baby baby seats in the uh, in the back. Um, but it, so it's supposed to compete with the Luso. Well, it's this it's this category that we're talking about. Uh, you know, Aston DB11, um, uh, Bentley Continental, 911 Turbos, and stuff. It's 
So again, Bill's right. I mean, there was a time when Ferrari just said, we're going to build 5,000 cars a year and that's it because anything more than that will diminish our brand. And it's just creeping up and up and up. And some of that is because new markets have come along like China. And it's like, well, you know, if they're off in China, nobody, you know, it's not like driving down the road and see a hundred of them. So, you know, they, but they're just constantly eking that brand out. And, you know, and then all the things like, you you know, you guys probably been to, been to the UAE where you have like the big theme parks and everything else. And I don't know, you've got to be really careful with a brand like Ferrari that you don't sort of over, over egg it. Okay, well, that's a good point. You're saying be careful with a brand like Ferrari. Uh, and and uh, Chris has shown us another picture of uh, of this car, the Roma, with, with a little backseat. Okay, you be careful with Ferrari. Ferrari has always said they're not going to do an SUV. So they come out with a four-seater hatchback, the FF, which evolves to the GTC4 Lusso, uh, which I, I think is – interesting car i drove one it is fantastic um but now ferrari is public as you said a little bit change in in the management and uh now they're saying yes there will be an suv now if you would have said that five six eight years ago we would have been like no 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 but is it more access uh acceptable knowing that you know porsche's had a lot of success with suvs Alfa Romeo, I've got the Stelvio Quattrofolio, a 505-horsepower SUV coming in a couple of weeks. Uh, Aston Martin has a beautiful DBX SUV that uh, we'll be driving a little bit later this year. Uh, does it make sense for Ferrari to have one? You don't mean Sorry, I was waiting, I was waiting yeah. until <laughs> Yeah. Um, I don't have as much of an issue with it uh, as most people do. I mean, if you look at sales, Porsche is basically now an SUV company. If you yeah. look at what they sell, when you add together Cayenne plus Macan, then after that, you know, the 911s are almost like, you know, kind of keep the image going. And then Boxster and Cayman really don't sell that well at all. So it's it's just kind of sensible. But also, I mean, you know, you've got, you've got a kid, Bill, and so have I now. Actually, it... It sort of makes sense because, you know, I have a classic 911, which I can't fit a one-year-old in, either practically or safely. So, you know, something like the the DBX, the, the Aston Martin, actually, you know, maybe it's just me getting old, but start, you start to think, actually, this is quite a nice thing. It's a nice way of getting around. It allows me to still have some fun. But, you know, actually, I can throw everybody, I can throw everybody in and, the ki- you know, and the, the kids and we can all enjoy it. So I'm not, there are a lot of Puritans out there who think it's the worst thing of all time. Um, and I'm not really one of them. So, Bill, you're familiar with Ferrari because I know that your brother uh, is a pretty avid, avid Ferrari collector. Um, yeah. What What are your thoughts on on a Ferrari SUV? And I think we can sort of predict what the size is going to be because Maserati has their SUV, Alfa Romeo has sort of a similar sized SUV, the DBX, the Aston Martin, similar size SUV. So I don't, I'm not expecting a big three row kind of SUV. I'm expecting, you know, four or five seater with, you know, maybe four captain's chairs or something like that with a little more room, a little more luggage. Is a Ferrari SUV something that, I don't know, would, do you have thoughts about it, Bill? What would your brother say? My brother would buy one in two seconds. He's, he's a Ferrari guy in and out, um, true and true. Uh, he is allegiant to the brand. I think uh, I don't – he's a purist, but he's a realist at the same time. I mean, look at the business model of Porsche. 
Mm-hmm. Look how successful they've been and look at their identity right now. I'm sure Ferrari definitely doesn't want to trade places with them as far as having an SUV being representative of, you know, their largest, you know, profit share right now. But um, I, I, I'd love to see one because we had this conversation a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and a couple of the manufacturers weren't even considering it. Matter of fact, they were saying absolutely not. And now look at what's come out. So the, the excitement that that, the excitement that the SUVs uh, by these uh, elite companies has brought over the past couple of years, yeah, I'm salivating to see a Ferrari SUV. I don't think it deters. I don't think it takes away from the the lineage at all. I mean, it just depends upon how you look at it. You have to be a realist, like I said, at the same time. So um, to be able to take the the, the refineness and the beauty and uh, everything that Ferrari represents and put it in a, a you know, an SUV, I, I'm willing to see it for sure. Alistair has the introduction of an SUV for some of these, uh, higher end sports car companies. Has it in any way diminished the value of their, of their sports cars? So no, if, no, because if no. Ferrari makes, I don't know, 7,000 cars a year, 5,000 cars a year, and they double it with SUVs over the next five years. Does that take anything away financially? And and as a public company, fantastic, right? But does it take anything away from the, you know, the cachet of, of their sports cars and GT cars? I don't know. I mean, Bentley's done just that. When the Bentayga came along, they basically doubled their volume off the back of the Bentayga, which is, no, not necessarily a terribly well-executed SUV in terms of how it looks. Um, but I don't know. It goes back to what we were saying with McLaren. McLaren basically came along and said, we're only going to make mid-engined supercars. That's all we do. And then you realize that you can probably build 5,000 of those a year, and that's probably your market. Mm-hmm. So where do you go from there? So then they say, okay, we're going to do the GT because we're going to kind of stretch this idea a little bit. And then we sit around and say, well, you know, it doesn't really fit the bill. So you can box yourself into a corner by saying, we're just not going to do one. We're just not going to do these. And so much of it's about execution. I mean, the Porsche 959 won the, you know, think about the, the Rothmans 959 that was in the Dakar rally. Amazing yeah. thing. I don't look at that and think, oh, you know, that's not 911. It was a 911th went rallying. So I think it's about how you, how you pitch it and how you execute it. And we haven't driven the, the Aston yet because the launch was actually cancelled because of, well, postponed because of everything going on at the moment. But, you know, I look at that and think that's a nice, that seems like a really nicely executed thing. Yeah. Ferrari comes along with a, a pretty Ferrari-esque SUV. And also technology's changed so much. that you're not, They're not ladder frame chassis and rolling around corners. You know, you can do so much with the tech to actually make these things drive well and, you know, keep the, you know, keep the body roll in check and everything else. So, I mean, honestly, for my life right now, like a McCann GTS would just about be the perfect car for me. How is, uh, how is the Urus doing for Lamborghini? How is their SUV performing for them? Again, it's the one that it's selling. I mean, there's, there's the market for people wanting to run around in two-seater supercars at $300,000 is pretty small. The market for people willing to run around in quarter of a million SUVs is bigger. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and the Euros again, I mean, is it, is it a super pretty car? Is it not? But yeah, I mean, it, it just sort of makes sense for, uh, and listen, I think 
that thing is fun to drive. That thing does things an SUV shouldn't do. It <laughs> sounds the part. It handles. It's got massive, massive, I don't know, maybe 16-inch diameter carbon ceramic brakes. Like, uh, uh, it's super fun. And you don't have to jam on the brakes at every stoplight thinking you're going to bottom out because there's a little dip in the road. Like, you could actually go through an intersection and not worry about going, oh, I got to pull into my driveway. Give me 19 seconds to hit the front axle lift and, and get it lifted up there. And just like, it's just a game changer, I think, as far as, making something you can drive all the time. It may be saying a little goofy looking, but it's fun. Saying something controversial now, basically supercars were pain in the ass most of the time. <laughs> exactly. And there's a time and a place for everything. And as people get older, the guys that are, that can, that like these supercars and, and can afford them, you know, have families and then they have other needs and then they want to stay allegiant to the brand. And if you've got a Ferrari, then why not jump in a Ferrari SUV? Yeah, I don't know where what happens in in fifteen years from now. Are are some of these SUVs going to start rolling across like Gooding and RM auction block? But I just think maybe because of the volume that they're doing uh, and the idea that it's it's kind of a money grab for these companies. It's and and there's nothing wrong with that. There's a business it's aspect smart of business. it. Is yeah, hey, if we business. if we sell enough, you know, uh, enough Cayans then we can do some pretty cool special edition 911s, right? And not have to, uh, you know, you know, really, really push them. You know, we can do limited edition cars of a hundred run or a thousand run. We don't, because Cayenne's pay for that, right? Well, and, here's, uh, a question, here's a question for Alistair. You know, you asked it a second ago, does, does would Ferrari having a, a, a SUV devalue the brand? What has it done for Lamborghini? Yeah, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's devalued the brand at all. I think the only thing that can devalue the brand, and it comes back to what we were saying about the GT cars, and it's the same with four seater Ferraris. Actually, they if they depreciate, if people really start to lose money on them, that's when you devalue the brand. And if you look at say Bentley Continental GTs, older ones, they don't hold their value well. Nine eleven turbos don't actually. GT threes do, but nine eleven turbos don't. And we were looking as part of the research for this Bentley uh, Bentley McLaren test. You can get like a three-year-old Bentley Continental GT for basically half the price of what it was new. Yeah. So that anybody buying it new is going to take a hundred k hit. Same, you know, Bentaygas are a bit bit the same. You know, four-seater Ferraris, four-five-six GTs, six-twelves—they didn't hold their value nearly as well as the two-seater sports cars. So the potential for I think damaging the brand is if you build too many of them and then the residual values just get hammered. And suddenly, you know, it's a it's a 50k Ferrari that cost 250k 10 years ago, and then they're not looked after, and it just it becomes a difficult place. Is is the Ferrari FF a bargain right now in the world of Ferrari bargains? Uh, is is that a car that somebody should should go out and buy used and drive? I, I think as a car to go and drive and enjoy, yeah. As a as an investment, no. As a, a but as something, unless it's bottomed out. I mean, that's the thing. I looked at a 612 at one point in Scaglietti because I years ago I drove one across China, so I got a real emotional attachment to it as a Ferrari expedition. But they, um, you know, and there was somebody offering one for 60k, which is about the same price I paid for my 911. Mm-hmm. And I kind of got into it, and I just thought, there's just too many things that how much is this thing actually going to cost me? And mm-hmm. I don't want to get to every little squeak or rattle to have like a heart attack because I think it's a 10 grand bill. 
Well, and it's, that's the same, the same exact fe- it's the same feeling I have about my old 360. Now I want to buy one. Yeah. And, you know, you can pick them up for 50 grand all yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. But therein lies the problem. You know, you're going to get a nice little headache once that thing starts breaking down. Yeah, yeah and you worth, will. But it won't that, be worth 100 grand. No. And, but that is a kind of a, a cool way to get into a Ferrari these days for, for people looking to get into a first time Ferrari. I like the 355. I think that's a good little investment car. And I think that's a, a pretty nice car to drive. Uh, we, you know, I wouldn't recommend putting, you know, 8,000 miles a year on it. Like it's a lot of driving in a 355, but, uh, you know, in the world of sort of the Haggerty insurance driving model of, you know, 1500, 2000, you know, miles a year, uh, you know, a 360 is great. A 355 is great. And, and I, I get that that's kind of the audience is, is this, you know, the Ferrari world is not your daily driver world. And a lot of these cars, McLaren and stuff is not your daily driver world. But I'm wondering if, if a used McLaren Ferrari, if anybody really makes a car that shines in the world of reliability, but comparison to the other models, uh, what I'm getting at is, is, is a used FF at half the price of its sticker a car worth getting and driving almost daily? Uh, will will it hold up? Is it worth the money? We we know everything depreciates, but you can go spend a hundred thousand dollars on a brand new BMW, at, or or lease it for three years and give it back. Is that much better than uh, than than a, a a used FF? It, it it reminds me a little bit. I had a friend of mine who, in the last big recession bought a 550 Maranello for about, I think he paid about $45,000. Yeah. That's already gone up by the way. (laughs) That's gone up a huge amount. Uh, And he's done well, but he got, he just managed to pick one of the right. And right now in the market, if you look at things like bring a trailer and things like that, there are, there are potential bargains to be, to be picked up. But he found, he was that classic guy that could just about afford one. And then I always remember he had a the little rubber that goes around the headlights on a 550. It's rubber, it perished. And it cost him $700 to get the little bit of rubber because only <laughs> Ferrari made them. Yeah. Whereas if, and at the same time, I bought a 993 in the UK, a Porsche. And, you know, there was tons of parts, not just Porsche, but, but you don't need a Porsche part for a little rubber seal. And I think it was like 30 bucks on the Porsche. So... By all means, buy a Ferrari. Three five fives, I love. But then you've got to take the engine out every time you, you know, every time you deal with the clutch. Yeah. And that's a, that can be a fifteen twenty thousand dollar bill if you're not careful. So it's just keep your eyes open. We we talk about this at the time. I used to get sick of TV shows. I do. You know, don't buy a Honda CRV. Buy a you know, buy a, a crazy Cayenne Turbo or something. And it, you know, you'll have so much more fun. Yeah. But at the same time, it's going to cost you. Uh, there's no magic bullet. If you can b- pick a car. And this is where Porsche scores so well. Pick a, pick a car that's not really going to depreciate and accept the higher running costs, then you can break even. But that's the only way. Uh, all right, let me uh, let me hit this uh, this uh, Dodge ad one more time, and then I want to ask you a little bit about sort of the new cars versus used cars. Uh, should anybody be buying, or or what's going on there? But. Uh, uh, just as a reminder from a friend at Dodge, uh, give your local Dodge dealer a call where they bring you performance, technology, and great deals. 
there's never been a better time because right now Dodge is offering power dollars. And with power dollars, you'll get $10 off of each horsepower of your new car. So every 2019 Dodge Charger, every 2019 Dodge Challenger, you can even pull away in a 2019 Dodge Charger RT Scat Pack with 485 horsepower and receive an almost $5,000 cash allowance. So if you get more power, you get more off. It's that simple. So hurry over to your local Dodge dealer today. Hopefully they'll be uh, opening soon in most states. Otherwise, give them a call and uh, take advantage of Dodge Power Dollars. Um, speaking of deals like that, uh, so many car companies are offering great financing deals. There's never been a better time to get zero financing on cars. Even the specialty companies, Celine Mustangs, Roush Mustangs, uh, Roush, uh, uh, I think the trucks as well. Uh, you know, you get 600 horsepower, 650 horsepower F-150 from Roush for for 0% financing, right? So, uh, But Hennessy's not knocking any money off. No, but Hennessy is. Uh, uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry to interrupt. But <laughs> uh, no, you're you're right on. But uh, I don't think they qualify as a manufacturer, so they're just a tuner. So you buy the package, you pay what it is, uh, and you got to bring them the car. But uh, Celine and and Roush specifically are are technically manufacturers, even though they start with an existing car. They get their own window sticker, their own warranties, and uh, so they're offering their own deals. Um, and that's just. You know, those are the specialty cars, like the stuff we like about here on the show. But uh, so many car companies are out there offering good deals. Is now a good time to buy? That's for you, Alistair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> potentially, yeah. It's it's a it's a funny time to buy because you know things. We our Edmund site traffic is a bit of a barometer of where the industry is. Just because you know it's a it's a snapshot of how many people are actually looking at cars with a with a view to buy, and our traffic initially fell off a cliff by about forty percent, which you know was pretty. There's a few scary meetings in there. We're pretty much back to where we were, which I think has even surprised us. Even surprised us a little bit. We're just underneath where we would expect to be had this thing not happened. So it's clear there's a lot of people doing doing research and actually looking at cars, and we can actually see people's behavior and people are looking at what's available in the market and everything else and, and looking for deals. Again, it comes back to what we're saying about with supercars, you know, keep your eyes open. There's a lot of 0% finance deals, which can be a great thing. There's a lot of people, I mean, if you look at JLI, it was only 90% zero finance deals last month here for Land Rover products. But there's also a lot of people trying to stretch their loans. So the average loan has now gone up to 73 months, yeah. which is crazy, which, which is a weird, weird thing when you think about it because most people only keep their car like six and a half years. So a lot of the time people are still paying off their car when they're trying to chop it in. And if you're not careful, you can end up in a world where you'd been better off leasing two new cars on three-year leases than actually taking out a six-year loan. The other thing to bear in mind is a lot of people are saying, well, actually, you don't have to pay for the first three months. So you effectively turn like a 60-month loan into a 63-month. But that means that you're going to be paying those three months further down the line. And your vehicle, I know it gets complicated, but your vehicle might be depreciating more because you're keeping it longer. So there are great deals to be had, but you've really got to think about what you're signing up for. And it's very easy to get enticed by somebody saying, 0% finance, 84 months, first three months, you know, first three months you don't have to pay. And it sounds great because the monthly <laughs> payment comes down. But when you add it all up, we've got some great features about this on our site. 
you add it all up, you're paying more in interest, you're, and obviously 0%, but you're still, you're still stretching it and stretching it, and suddenly you're left with a car after five years that you're still paying for. Um, and you know, do you want to? Do you still want to keep it? Do you want to trade it in? It's it, you know, you can get you can sort of get yourself into a bit of a tangled mess with this stuff. Having said all that, there are some cracking deals out there. You know, people need to move metal and move inventory, and the plants are starting to open up again across the country. So yeah, it, it, it perversely if it can be a good time to buy, just be eyes open about what you're buying and what you're okay. coming up for. So there's there's talk about. Hertz rental car company uh, going bankrupt. They're not necessarily going to survive. They they need a lot of money. They need like 400 million bucks. Um, they would like to restructure, find some bankruptcy protection, uh, make some deals, maybe offer their creditors some equity in the company. Um, but uh, if that doesn't happen, they they may be out of business and have to sell off their assets, which means uh, they'd essentially be pushing over a half a million used cars into the market. My question is, although there's good deals on new cars right now that you're talking about, is the, is the used car market going to be kind of ruined? Like if you're trying to sell a used car or trade in your car, uh, for something new is is it not going to be worth anything because Hertz is going to be flooding the market with another half a million or does nobody care because how many you know Yaris's or Ford Focuses could there possibly be all in white <laughs> in the market that people want right it, it, it's two there's two there I mean, residual values used car values are already taking a hammering uh, looking at data, you know, the wholesale auctions, which really drives the market, you know, dealers aren't wanting to replenish stock because they're not selling vehicles, you know, prices are being driven down. So what you're, and again, we've just done a big piece of research on this, is what what you might be offered or what you might be expected to be offered for your dealer. You know, if you're trading your used car against a new car, mm-hmm. you might be disappointed by what the dealer's offering. So we've already seen a depreciation in the value of used vehicles in the market generally, both at auctions and then on the on the retail forecast. So if you then add another half a million mainstream vehicles, which most of these are, then yeah, I mean it's classic supply and demand. It's going to have it's going to have an impact. It's also, I mean, the problem is in this is, is economy generally. It, it's not just hurts; it's the suppliers to hurts. It's the knock-on impact of that kind yeah. of that kind of bankruptcy. And unfortunately, I think we're going to see this a, a lot. And talking to OEMs as well about, you know, built, reopening plants, one of the big paranoids there is, what if your supplier goes bankrupt? You know, that little, that person who makes that one little rubber bushing, but you cannot build a Corolla unless you've got that rubber bushing. Yeah. You know, there's, there's all these knock-on impacts that Hertz goes down and suddenly the supplier's business model doesn't work and on it goes and on it goes. And, you know, these are, these are pretty scary times for all of us. So, Just an FYI, guys, uh, to add a little levity. Um, if Hertz does go through with that, do not, and I repeat, do not purchase a Charger or a Challenger from them because <laughs> it may have been one that I drove. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, Just saying. You know, uh, they are the worst cars. They're the worst driven cars in the world, the rental cars, aren't they? I mean, like, you would just. They're all driven hard. They're all driven hard for sure. Um, you might as well assume it's been at Bondurant. You know, it's oh, yeah. a Bondurant. 
So maybe maybe a terrible time to trade in or sell your used car, but maybe a decent time to purchase a used car over the next couple of months. Maybe, uh, maybe Bill, maybe you get that uh, that Dodge SRT pickup truck you had your eye on for uh, many, many years. You keep glazing yeah. over the well, uh, the Viper think, engine. Don't think for two seconds that I haven't already searched. <laughs> that, weeks yeah, this, and weeks ago. Every time I walked around Barry Jackson, I saw one. I sent you a text I'm like, hey, buddy, here's a really clean SRT uh, engine. But the ones that I saw there, uh, they were the uh, standard cab with six-speed manual, which I like. But yep. as a guy who drives a standard cab truck, you'll never be able to move the seat back to a position that you're going to fit in. I barely fit in my Lightning, but yep. uh, uh, the four-door or the automatic is probably the way to go. But um, can, can I ask you guys a question then? Because yeah. I find this interesting, what you're just talking about. Because we spent the beginning of the show talking about SUVs and does this damage the brand. But you guys love, and I've come to love living over here, like really Larry trucks. And that doesn't damage the brand. Nobody says, oh, you don't buy a Mustang because Ford, you know, Ford also makes, you know, crazy-ass truck. Yeah. Isn't that the same as an SUV? Yes and no, but you're, these are these are brands that have been in the SUV market for so long that uh, I, it, it seemed like uh, not, not an evolution of the brand like it feels like with Porsche and possibly Aston Martin and Maserati. It's a logical but it, next step. It, it is because um, Ford has a good reputation with trucks, with F-150, yeah. and so does Ram, and so does Silverado. So for them to go, hey, we're going to do an SUV, I think the success of F-150 gives a little cachet to going, that's what I'd like. I'd like a Ford SUV instead of just a pickup truck. I know it's a completely different platform and it's unibody and whatever, but there's something going, well, Ford knows how to make trucks. So getting an SUV, yeah. Yeah. Um, But uh, I I, I don't think, look, I think, Porsche got a lot of shit for, for coming out with an SUV and that blew over very quickly and the finances make sense and they sell a ton of them. And it is weird how Porsche is able to retain their, the residual value on all of their 911s for the most part, but they take a hit on Cayman and Boxster and they take a hit on SUVs. This is one company, one brand that. Apart from the apart from the McCann, which has got probably the best residual values in the market, McCann that, residuals but, are insane. But that's a that's a supply and demand thing, right? That's that's people yeah. want that thing. That's not a collectability thing. That's not residual no, value based. But, but it shows if you yeah. manage it properly that if you build a great product and manage it properly in terms of not flooding the market or trying to do crazy deals, then you can yeah. make it work for you. That that kind of falls in the Toyota Tacoma world, right? For yeah. some reason, those things hold their value. And, I think Porsche's uh, ability to be reliable makes them that much more successful in that space also. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I agree. Uh, all right. Well, listen, I know we're, uh, we're kind of running out of time, um, but uh, if you uh, – uh, one of your bullet points I just want to touch on for a couple of minutes. We can dig into it more later if you'd like, or just plug the uh, the video of what you got. But you did a range test between the Porsche and the Tesla on, on electric cars. And yeah. um, and uh, uh, go ahead and, and, and plug the video or the article or whatever, but give us a little, give us a little heads up yeah. on what's going on there. 
I'm actually just going to pull up the. Uh, I just want to get this right, guys. So I'm just pulling up the, uh, pulling up the exact figures. Bear with me a moment. So while you're was, doing that, uh, 181 in the C63 on public roads. Did you guys see that online? I didn't. I didn't see that yet. Uh, Kid that got pulled over and took his dad's C63, clocked at either 181 or 191 uh, on the highway. I think it was in Canada. I'm not. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, people are people uh, start What's, crazy. What's going on with that? That's insane. Uh, I, I was <laughs> about the guy last week in the in the Charger, go uh, 160. I was I mean, at Angeles Crest. We filmed the Bentley and the McLaren GT at the Angeles Crest Highway, which, yeah. as we all know, is an incredible driving road. But it got like night fell, and we did those last sunset shots, and we we're all there in masks and keeping our distance from each other and everything else. And then it suddenly turned into a scene from Mad Max. <laughs> and there was a guy in a in a challenger doing doing donuts in front of us. At which point, you know, me, me and the cameraman were like, right, time to go. Yeah. We've got to get to go. off this and I, I followed I was in the McLaren and I followed this civic down the hill and he was doing like little zigzags on the straights and I was just like, This is gonna end in I just backed off because I thought he's looking in his mirror, he's seeing a McLaren. Uh, I was just like No. People yeah, are going crazy right now. Crazy road. I, I found it. So basically, we had a Taycan 4S and our Tesla Model Y, which we, we, we just bought. So after nine and a half hours of driving, now this is sensible driving. So it's not trying to do an eco run. It's air conditioning on, sensible driving. Uh, the Taycan did 300, and, when you allow for the extra 10 miles of juice, uh, 323, 323 miles, which is 63% better than its official EPA range of 203. So that's an, that's an extraordinary result. Damn. The mod, the Model Y. Now we've never Tesla's generally most brands actually beat their EPA in our hands. Tesla goes the other way. So our long term uh, Model Y is a range of three hundred and fifteen, uh, which drops to two hundred eighty-nine. So basically, we did. So basically, then that drops to two hundred eighty miles because on a Tesla, you only charge to ninety percent by their recommendation we actually achieved 252. So it just shows like how you just can't judge these things by what they say. So the Tesla's not terrible, but underneath what they're claiming, and the Porsche's 60% better. I mean, 300, 313 miles is a hell of an achievement. If, 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 if the Porsche came out and said, uh, you know, they came out and they said it's 203, 204 miles. Is there any scenario so far where it actually only went 204 miles? Like, is it always beating it? it no, I mean, the way we, it, it all depends on how you drive them. And that's why we buy them and run them for 20,000 miles or more. Or in the case of Tesla, 30,000. 30, what we, you know, if you're just bumming around LA and that sort of thing, it's it's like anything. It's like if you're constantly mashing the throttle, it's, it's not dissimilar to a gas-powered car in that respect. It's how you drive it and where you drive it. Um, so yeah, you can you can get the range dropping off, and you can also you can also beat it. But you do tend to what we find if you know if you do fifteen thousand miles in a vehicle, then it normalizes. It normalizes it, it, driving they, stuff. Were the routes the same? Was uh, uh, was it a follow? Like yeah, uh, there's okay. a follow bill. So it was so the exactly condition. the same driving condition. Exactly. All right, so where do we where do we see more of that? Uh, so you can see more of that if you go to our long term pages on uh, Edmunds.com. So if you if you just Google our Tesla model, Google Tesla model Y Edmunds, that'll take you through to the that'll take you through to the content. 
Um, also this week, we haven't talked about it, but coming out uh, on tomorrow, I believe it is, we've got a, a Model Y versus, you know, love me saying this, the Mackie. Matt, uh, and the and the Model Three. <laughs> the the Mackie sounds like I don't know. It sounds like a rap name or a sandwich. And, uh, but I love the way you say it. You're so rude to me, all of you. That was that was just worth the whole 49 minutes. Of I love you, Alistair. Uh, um, I, yeah. By the way, we had one of your uh, one of your buddies, uh, 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 Jim Farley, on. Uh, on uh, CarCast with Kroll last week, the COO of Ford, uh, 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 a little follow-up to that. Just a great guy, and it's good to see such a car guy be in charge of a car company. Afterward, uh, we took it offline. We've been exchanging a couple of personal emails, and he's sending me pictures of his of his GT40 vintage race car that he races in Europe and his, his, his Cobra that he races out here and just – just a, a a fan of cars and uh, and running the, the company. And you're right this this guy is probably you know being groomed as the next CEO of Ford and uh, and probably should be because uh, what what a great uh, guy. We can't wait to get him back on as well. So if you guys missed Shoot that, him go a back picture of the it. lawman, please. And he was yeah. That's yeah. I should yeah. And that guy, Jim, he, he, Jim Farley was actually really instrumental in doing the Mackie, let's say it again, because... Um, <laughs> I got a little bit of a buzz here. I didn't hear that. What was it? Can we go now? <laughs> no, please continue, sir. <laughs> oh, my God. You're so eloquent. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're good. We're done. We're gonna we're gonna so. leave it. We're gonna leave it there. <laughs> we're gonna leave it there. Um, Alistair, thank you so much. I can't wait to have you back on. We're, uh, I'm sure we're gonna have a lot more to talk about. When are you guys fully back up and running and filming and 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 I guess so much of it depends on the car companies and, and some of them are giving us press cars and some of them are 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 waiting. So uh, it, it's a little yeah. Little, I mean we're. We're still filming. I mean, the, the model, the model Y. I'm not going to say the word. The model Y was actually filmed in a, you know, in a, in a car park. We did the Bentley thing and the, the McLaren thing up on up on the hill as a bit of a test. And you know, we wore masks and we kept our distance and we, you know, we managed it sensibly. And we're, we're looking at doing other other filming in that way, just slimming down the productions a bit. Testing at the moment, our test track shut, but we're hoping by the end of May that might be reopening. Um, we're just like everybody else. And Bill was talking about it off a fair amount of TV shows. Everybody's going through the same process. How do we do this safely? How do we get ourselves going again? Because if there's no um, vaccine in sight, we need to find a way of continuing to do our do our business. And yeah. as you said, Matt, test cars are continuing to be delivered. You know, we're, we're actually produced well over 100 pieces of written content during this time. Our social is actually up. Uh, because more people are engaging with it, uh, video has actually not not suffered too much. So you know, we're, it's it's not all doom and gloom out there, and you know, most of us adapted to to working from home. And as long as we can keep te- keep having cars delivered, we can keep doing our thing, then we'll be we'll, we'll be okay. Yeah. What are you guys hearing about the major manufacturers opening up? Any any uh, this? You know, I'm I'm here in the end of May. It's a mixture. I was actually on a call with Toyota and some of their execs and uh, their, their plant presidents, and they were trying to open up in Texas mid-May. They actually ended up pushing it back a week. 
but it was just interesting listening to the kind of lens that they're going to, even like in the in the toilets having separator screens at the sink. So not just at the urinal, actually at the at the sink so you can wash your hands and not feel threatened. And you know, it's it's a massive investment to try and get these things back up and you know, back up and running. And but the reality is if nothing's as I say, no vaccine's coming, we've got to find a way of making it work. And I guess it's you know, it's yeah. the same with you and wrestling and everything else, but isn't it? It's it's you've got to find some sort of I hate the expression, but like a new normal. Yeah, it's a reinvention time for sure for every every entity out there. Best business to be in is like the clear Lexan and Plexiglass business right now because I'm seeing that stuff pop up everywhere. Every CVS, no every question. grocery store. You know, like, and, and that's what's cool is a lot of these manufacturers are coming out. You know, they're making masks. They're making, yeah. you know, the fields. And, and that's really cool. Really cool. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's a time when everybody's lending a helping hand. And it's very nice that uh, the big boys are doing it, taking the lead. Right on. Agreed. All right, guys. Thank you so much uh, for Bill and Alistair. Of course, it's Alistair Weaver. Go to Edmunds.com and uh, Edmunds.com slash Road Noise. Catch up on all the news that these guys are doing. Great videos, great content. Um, we love it when you come on the show. Uh, uh, you know, always a pleasure. So uh, thanks, guys. And uh, until uh, next week, uh, keep the air and the spare and the bag and the wheel. Thanks, guys. For the latest updates and call-in times, follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CarCast Show. If you'd like to write in, fill out the form on CarCastShow.com. And don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes. CarCast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana. For more information, visit CarCastShow.com. Hey guys, thanks a lot for listening to CarCast. And again, uh, thanks to our friends at Geico. There were, though we are apart these days, we're sharing more. And Geico would just like to say thanks. Thanks for sharing your savage dance moves. Thanks for sharing your DIY haircut fails. Thanks for sharing your inner lip sync star. Now it's Geico's turn to share as well with the Geico Give Back, a 15% credit on car and motorcycle policies for current and new subscribers. And because Geico is committed for the long haul, the 15% credit lasts your full policy term. Visit geico.com slash giveback for info. That's geico.com slash giveback.